Welcome back, everybody, to this third episode of Singing for Survival, the podcast on Capoeira history. Um, this episode is going to be different than the last in a couple ways. So I'm still working on putting together the research for the, the next full episode on Lampion. But in the meantime, um, I wanted to have a less scripted episode where we take a look at some questions that people sent in to me, uh, both on Zumbi and the Quilombos dos Palmares, so we can talk a little bit more about it and, and get into some kind of interesting topics that these questions brought me to. Um, this is going to be a little bit more casual format. I, I think that I'd like to do this... Um, after each of our more, I guess, structured episodes. So I, I hope you enjoy this. I really enjoyed looking into all the questions that you sent me. And, um, and yeah, let's get into it. So I have um, my, my notes in front of me, I have the emails here, so what I'd like to do is just walk through person by person and, and dig into the questions and see where they take us. So first we're going to start with a couple questions from Marcin in Poland. Um, his first kind of question and comment was looking for more referrals and sources like songs and movies uh, that that refer to Zumbi and the Palmares. And so w what I'll do with that is I'm going to include a number of, of songs in the description that you can look through um, just to get a little bit more of, you know, the, the popular music that references both Zumbi and the Palmares. And I just played um, Mestri Boa Genshi um, in a track that I really, really like. It's, it's one of my favorite types of... Um, uh, Capoeira music on YouTube where it's it's just, you know, Mestri Boazhenshi and one of his students, they're standing on the street and just singing. Um, and someone's recording it on probably a phone or something. And I, I love these videos just because, you know, I be, being in Capoeira, you kind of find yourself in these positions um, where you get together with instructors or with just your friends in Capoeira and, and share songs like that. So it feels like very communal uh, and very familiar. So I'll, we'll, we'll play out on that track too. It's, it's really beautiful. And I'll put all the links to everything uh, in the descriptions. 
Uh, as far as movies, um, I was I was let known about a a movie that's relatively recent um, called Quilombo. Um, you can find it on YouTube in its an entirety. Uh, so I'll I'll put the link to that in the description as well. But um, overall, going forward, I'll try to include a lot more media like that in the the descriptions of these episodes, um, just so you have more to to refer to. Sometimes it can be hard to find this stuff if you don't know exactly exactly what you're looking for. So uh, the second question from Marcin uh, says, uh, "Was Zumbi a bad guy?" I heard that Zumbi was not a pure hero, um, that he was very violent and tortured his opponents, and some in today's black communities are not so enthusiastic about him. Is that true? So I, I thought that this was an interesting question just because it's not something that I've ever heard before about Zumbi. Um, as far as I'm aware, Zumbi continues to be a strong symbol in both the capoeira and black communities within Brazil of resistance. That being said, if there's anyone listening who has either heard any different or believes any different, please send me a message. I'd be very interested to hear your perspective on that. I did do some digging myself to try to find any any outlets that were promoting that idea or that view of Zumbi and the only one that I was able to find was coming from Movimento Brasil Livre which is a a conservative group within Brazil um, and that's something that I, I don't know too much about that party itself it's something I'm still looking into um, however I'm very suspicious as um, conservative movements in Brazil have historically sought to erode uh, land rights of quilombos, uh, which is something we'll get into later. Um, so it, it seems to me that something that may have those kinds of motivations. So uh, Marcin's next or final question is about Dandara. Uh, why haven't you mentioned her? And that's great. That's a great catch there. So Dandara is... Um, is another figure within the the legend of the Quilombo dos Palmares who was uh, Zumbi's wife and was a great warrior herself and um, alongside Zumbi is also a important symbol of resistance especially from the Quilombos dos Palmares. So the reason why I didn't bring Dandara up in that episode uh, is I wanted to focus that episode just on Zumbi and when I do talk about Dandara, I want to dedicate a full episode to her. Um, I think sometimes we fall into a trap of lumping the, uh, the female part of the, the Palmares legend in with Zumbi, rather than giving her her own separate attention. So I want to be very deliberate in doing that um, as I move forward in this uh, with these episodes. So, um, I didn't forget about her. Good catch. Uh, we will be talking about her, uh, relatively soon. So our next question comes from Marta in, uh, in Oakland. One of my, one of my good friends and training colleagues. Um, she asks, 
uh, we see a lot of African influence in all of these cultures, uh, referencing the American and Caribbean cultures that we were talking about in um, in last week's episode. Uh, but capoeira was developed only in Brazil. Do you know why? Was there any other African way of fighting that was brought to the United States or to the Caribbean? Uh, and if so, why wasn't it developed? So this is an excellent, excellent question. And it kind of, in in my opinion, gets to the heart of how capoeira came to be in Brazil. Um, so the short answer is capoeira is not the only African uh, fighting art that appeared in the, the so-called New World, uh, you know, in parallel with capoeira. In the, the most probably well-known examples are in, in Martinique, we have uh, something called Laja, which you can find videos of on YouTube, um, looks very, very similar to capoeira. It is a, a ritualistic fighting art that is done to music, um, primarily drums. Uh, there's, there seems to be a lot of dance in the way that the, the fighters move. Um, and we see sweeps and, you know, attempts to knock down the other person. Um, it's still, when you watch it, it still looks very distinct from Kapwara, but the kind of spirit and a lot of the elements of it, uh, are, are very similar. And I think that that shows a lot about how closely related their, their origins are. Uh, in addition, in the United States, uh, I think primarily in South Carolina, there was a, a, a fighting art called knocking and kicking. And uh, there's plenty of records of this existing. And it was, again, a, a kind of fighting game that the African slaves would play with each other that included uh, kicking, sweeping, uh, and headbutting all of which are staples of capoeira. Um, I, I haven't been able to find if there was music involved in, in knocking and kicking in the States, uh, but regardless, uh, we have these three examples of um, African fighting arts that were practiced by slaves uh, that involved ritualistic combat, that involved primarily sweeping, kicking, headbutting, uh, and when we compare just laja and capoeira, that were both done to music. So there's all of these common elements that that all tie back to the African roots of all of these arts. What I think is so interesting is that these all arts are all different, um, and and that that kind of that, that kind of is what distinguishes, I think, capoeira as an Afro-Brazilian art, uh, distinguishes laja as, you know, a, an Afro-Caribbean art, distinguishes knocking and kicking as an Afro-American art, rather than them all just being African arts. They, it's clear that they are heavily African-rooted, um, but the way that they developed was unique to each of the the regions that they ended up being in brazil martinique uh, and the southern united states 
So it, it's hard to say exactly what caused each of them to develop differently. Um, I think, you know, and a lot of that might be just because many of the records of all of those were destroyed. Um, but it's undeniable that they are all different, that they all did develop at least slightly differently. Um, and I think this is something that I, I want to uh, also dedicate a separate episode into, is looking into um, African fighting arts in the, the so-called New World, in North and South America and Central America and the Caribbean islands, um, because I think there's a lot that we can learn about how Capoeira developed by looking at what what happened in Martinique and what happened in the United States that was different. So um, that is something that that's that's kind of the the rough overview answer right now. But that's something that I definitely want to dig further into and really spend a, a nice chunk of time just just exploring. So there's one more question that I want to get at today, um, and it comes from Laís in. Uh, in Madrid. So Laís asked about uh, quilombos that exist today in Brazil uh, and what impact the current government, uh, specifically the Bolsonaro administration in Brazil, is having on those quilombos. Now, I, I really, really enjoyed this question, mostly because um, I hate to admit it, but I had no idea that Quilombo still existed in Brazil today. Um, it's it's strange to me that it's never come up, but um, even being around Capoeira for, you know, a little over a decade, it's not something that I ever uh, heard discussed, um, the, the status of these Quilombos today. So I did some digging in. And what I found was really amazing, um, and to to the point where, again, this is going to be the topic of a another episode, just looking into the the present day quilombos in Brazil, uh, because it's super complicated, and there's a lot that's happened uh, in just the past few decades. But I want to just talk a little bit about what I was able to learn, um, just to kind of give a little bit of a preview of what we'll talk about. So, um, up until the 1970s, these quilombos that survived since the slavery period in Brazil were completely unknown. Um, it wasn't until deforestation by a lot of the, the agricultural sector uh, of Brazil reached the lands of the, the quilombolas that they were even discovered. And even at that point, uh, the people who discovered them thought they were just squatters uh, and trying to steal property from from the deforesters. Uh, and it it wasn't really until the 80s that that people were brought onto the idea that these were really surviving quilombos, um, which is pretty incredible since, I mean, if we just to set their time scales, uh, slavery was abolished in Brazil in 1888. And so this is almost a hundred years later uh, that we 
finally get recognition from the the government that these quilombos still exist. Um, it, it was just kind of stunning to me that they've sustained themselves for that long without anybody knowing that they were there. So if we move a little bit forward in time, in uh, in eighteen in the the nineteen eighties, there was a national black movement uh, to fight for the recognition of these quilombos and to to grant them land rights from the from the Brazilian government. And in nineteen eighty eight, they were successful in that. Uh, Article sixty eight to the Brazilian Constitution was introduced, which uh, which granted land rights to a number of quilombos that existed there, uh, ma- mainly in the northern regions of Pará and Maranhão. Um, so if we go a little bit more forward in time, uh, in 2003, President Lula da Silva issued a presidential decree, it's Decree 4887, that categorized Quilombo descendants as, quote, self-designated ethno-racial groups who have their own historical trajectory, specific territorial relations, and a presumed black ancestry related to the historical oppression they have suffered. And this this decree uh, greatly expanded the number of Quilombos that were recognized and also expanded the the land rights of those quilombos. So um, in the number of recognized quilombos increased from 29 in 2003 to over 2,600 in 2016, um, with many more communities that are still uh, applying for their recognition, you know, pending approval. Uh, And that adds up to a total land claimed by these communities of about 4.4 million acres. Um, and this, is, this was just staggering to me that this many communities with this much land um, still exist today in Brazil. And um, I haven't heard much talk in, in the Capoeira community about it. So... For that reason, I want to spend some time to really dig into uh, the the histories of these modern-day quilombos, um, the issues they face today, um, and where, where they're moving forward uh, under the present administration. Um, I will say that uh, President Bolsonaro does not have a very favorable view of these, uh, of these quilombos, um, I don't want to quote anything that I think he has said with before I confirm it. His rhetoric has played into delegitimizing uh, these quilombos and eroding away their land rights. In addition, I know that the current coronavirus pandemic has hit these quilombos particularly hard. Um, many of these quilombos don't have access to clean water. Uh, some of just recently received access to clean water um, and many don't have access to to medical supplies or facilities uh, and in addition education is uh, is an ongoing problem so 
for that reason, they're some of the most vulnerable communities, uh, which is why they're going to be hit disproportionately hard. So that being said, I think that these communities deserve um, a lot of attention in terms of, of how we analyze them, how we learn about them, and how we talk about what their current issues are. So um, I will be doing an uh, episode very soon on just the modern-day Quilombos so we can educate ourselves on what the current events are. It's important always to learn about our history, but we can't just learn about history. It's never really enough to do that. The purpose of learning history is so that we can act in the present and plan for our future. So let's take what we've learned about the Quilombos dos Palmares, about Zumbi, and with that knowledge, um, take a look at what these communities are like today and maybe see what we can do to help them. So those are all of the questions that I received for, for this week on our, our topic of Zumbi and the Palmares. But even with just those handful of questions, it, it led me to a lot of interesting places uh, and into a lot of topics that I hadn't thought about or didn't really know existed. And so we've, even with just these couple questions, we already have what looks like three more episodes onto the, onto the pile of what we're going to be looking into. So uh, all that to say, please, if you have questions, if you have things that you want talked about or, or topics that I kind of skim over and whatever we're, whatever we're going over, please feel free to send them to me. Um, this is how we get into really interesting discussions and learn a lot both about history and culture and uh, and our our present social conditions. So please, 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 I'll put my email in the description again. Feel free to send me whatever you have. In addition, please let me know how you feel about this format of episode where we're having a little bit more casual conversation about some of the questions that come up. Um, I, I like having this conversational format when we talk about questions since it's more of the format that I'm used to uh, talking either to people or to a class, all of that. Um, so just let me know. Um, I'm definitely open to your suggestions and just want to make this the, the best and most accessible for everyone listening. So thank you again for, for being here and listening to the end. I really appreciate it. And stay tuned for our next episode on Olha, zumbi, 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 olha, zumbi, 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 olha, zumbi. Vai fazer sair do vaso. Peraí, peraí, velho.